How much? Uh, how much glee did you get from forcing me to watch this movie? How much? Like, did, like when you when you imagined me at home watching it, how big was your smile? Was it Grinch level? Was it like mm. just gigantic? <laughs> how big? You was know, it? I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm ready. I don't think about you at all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, no, I actually, uh, yeah. I didn't think of, I didn't think it was going to be as big of a deal for you. But then when you live tweeted it, yeah. that gave me a Grinch smile. I literally yeah. was just like pouring over your tweets like I was yeah. the bell of the ball because I made something happen. And yeah. it, it's so, so often in life, don't we just want to like, for better or worse, just have an impact on those around us? You know, of course Isn't that we do. What, uh, I don't believe just to one... be heard, to be to matter, <laughs> to be seen, even to if be it known. makes even makes someone's particular fr- Thursday uh, a nightmare <laughs> away, uh, yeah. you know, and yeah, like yeah, they yeah. they hate it, yeah, and you and they're your good friends, so they like despise you. Uh, I like to think that that's I've done a little, I've done something, yeah. You sip your brandy in your chair, Mm -hmm. satisfied with what life has wrought. I put a footprint in the 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 moist sand of the world. (laughs) Yeah, the beach of life. Um, Yeah, I think you knew. By I, I just I want the audience to know. I'm not I'm not gonna allow even the beginning of this, the cool (laughs) Abe in the beginning of this, because his text to me to inform me was, "I'm gonna do Jurassic Park three this weekend." That's the most thought through version of our of notifying the other that's ever been it's like uh, you knew exactly what you were deploying what are you like about? that's just you a description exactly. of the, no, the truth no, i was no. just like i want to let you know so that you can have enough time to watch this movie <laughs> first of all it's always we when we usually compare films to do on director piece the show that you're listening to welcome i'm one of the hosts adam ganser with my other co-host the I'm, delightfully mischievous ooh, i'm mischievous i'm abe epperson Yes. So normally when we arrange films, it's like the most like, what do you think about? I don't know. Maybe this, maybe the other thing. Which one? Uh, this one. Mm-hmm. Abe came ready to play in a suit <laughs> with this, with Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> he knew exactly what he wanted to do. Because I'm a professional. Uh, <laughs> like I imagine you shaved. Like you went and you shaved before you sent me that I tweet. I did shave. I know you did. I'm I can gonna, feel it. Because I'm an adult. The tweet felt very smooth, freshly Thank shorn. You. <laughs> yeah, it really did. Uh, it really did. Anyway, we're talking about Jurassic Park three, and my god, <laughs> my god, we're watching. We're talking about that. So you had a good time. I did. I had a great time. Honestly, it was a lot better than I remembered it being. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Your yeah. takeaway was that not a good film, but like not horrendous. But it's like not a horrendous well, better film. than I thought. Well, like okay, so I never thought any of the Jurassic Parks had been good except for the first one. And the, the first one, no, the first one was like one of my top ten favorite films of all time. Oh yeah, not gonna. And not like gonna the rest part. of them are not memorable in any way for goodness, in my opinion. Um, not because they, they're, I just don't like them. I just think they're derivative, and the cool part of this idea was explored. And don't tell me that another dinosaur is better than T Rex. Fuck you. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, like T Rex is like, the best dinosaur. Yeah, like I, right. I did a, I made a tweet about that. But, like, I honestly believe it. I'm honestly like, no, man, T-Rex is, like, the max out dinosaur because we all have opinions about a T-Rex before we see this movie. Like, we yeah. already, we all know about it, care about it, find it fascinating before these movies ever existed. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what the genius of this franchise is, is that, like, 
a director, some beautiful director, mm-hmm. uh, Steven Spielberg, managed to actually present to us a believable fucking T-Rex. Yeah, it's you like, get like three. Wow. You get like three base four. You get like four dinosaurs. When you think of like a little child's, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like bed sheet, or you think of like, you know, a backpack, or you know, right. you, you think of like when you were taught as a child, hey. Or it's just that's the time that you're most like dinosaurs are cool because <laughs> uh, that's what a child <laughs> mostly, thinks. you know, yeah. I still believe that I do think they are, but I, I do don't too. I don't buy backpacks with them. That's a lie. I buy backpacks with dinosaurs. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know, really? <laughs> but there's like four <laughs> dinosaurs, right? T-Rex. Stegosaurus. For you said. Stegosaurus. Triceratops. Brontosaurus or Brachiosaurus. Brachiosaurus or one of those. Yeah. yeah. Boom. The four shapes. Iconic. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep, we can't even name the other dinosaur types in Land Before Time. Fucking shit dinosaurs is what they're yeah. called. Garbage <laughs> dinosaurs, just bones right. in the ground. Who cares? I mean, like certainly a cursory investigation into dinosaurs will lead to many more than that. But you're right; those are like the four humors of dinosaurs. It, so, that, like, that's how good Jurassic Park was. They were like, right. "Guess what? You got four dinosaurs. We all agree there's four dinosaurs. Guess what?" There's a fifth dinosaur better than all of them. It's called a raptor. It's now canon. Everyone knows there's five dinosaurs. It's true. The raptor was not a, even a dinosaur type we cared no about cared. before this movie. Yeah. yeah. It's true. I mean, that. I mean, I don't want to go on and on because we're going to talk about Jurassic Park 3, but like Jurassic Park 1 is was the most important film I watched as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, bar none. Like, I don't think it's the best film I watched. I don't think it's the most important film I've watched, period. But as a as, from age zero to, t- like, 18, mm-hmm. definitely the most important film I watched. Dude, as a kid, I bought, like, a Muldoon vest. Oh, I money. wish you still had it. Fuck, I wish you still had that. There's no way I could boy. fit in that. Uh, but <laughs> Get a new one. I get had, I had one, ever. I got into all the shit that you'd get into if you were like, my life is going to be dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I studied them. Of course, who didn't after that? Who but I also right. bought like, I bought like a compass, and I learned like orienteering and stuff, and I like became a Boy Scout. I did all this shit that I was like, this is going to be make me a better dinosaur hunter. Yep, did it. Were you yes. better? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, I was. But that's not uh, my dinosaur hunting. You can find a, I have a different Patreon for that. But for today, I, I want to introduce you to a kind of basic theory that I have about uh, Jurassic Park. Re direction. Uh, yeah, because it's director piece theater, baby. I love this topic that Abe is going to expound upon for Thanks, you all. Man. I do because you know I love it because we've actually debated how to address this topic mm-hmm. uh, through a couple films. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. This is not I, the only film we've actually explored, but you picked a really good one for it. I think uh, we should uh I think we should get into that a little bit. Uh but great. I just want to kind of as fast as I can kind of just go through like the basics of this theory. I'm ready. And it starts with the caveat because it's Abe Epperson. Uh so there's going to be 800 caveats cuz I don't know how to write. Yeah, when you think of Jurassic Park 3, the dinosaurs they don't look as good. Yes, a raptor at one point acts like it's a dead specimen in a science lab in order to fool humans. Wow, that moment! Yeah. Wow, you get yeah. a you get a you get a moment to 
if you want to say anything else, because that no, is I, I, that I, deservedly gets its moment in the sun in this. I episode. believe that I, I, if I didn't text you, I certainly tweeted about that. Uh-huh. It, it just like that's the moment where I'm like, oh my god, this it's is a like, movie. Who is is this an alien who's directing this movie? <laughs> I would like to meet the alien because this, this is this first contact. Could not mm-hmm. decide what he believed about Raptors. Yes, the movie's right? 90 minutes long and somehow feels shorter. Uh, it does, yeah. It's not a great movie. It's a cash grab. That's what this is. Yep. And one of the reasons I think we dislike this kind of movie, i.e. the idea of like rehashing the greatest hits of a previous film, basically all of Jurassic World, keeps mm-hmm. this movie from connecting us emotionally to it and marks yep. it with a mediocrity. That puts it on the pathway of being forgotten forever. I mm. think Jurassic Park 3 will probably be forgotten. If it already hasn't. However, this is the big however. The craftsmanship of it, specifically because it's a copycat. There's like a little bit of wisdom. And it's because it's trying to make us think that Spielberg directed it. And I want to unpack that today. I think for the most part, it succeeds. I mean, how many directors can shoot with that kind of film vernacular as Steven Spielberg, one of history's greatest? I can take any shot by Spielberg, dissect it for you right now, tell you how the lens is used, how blocking and staging is used, how the rhythm and the pacing work between the shots. But it's another thing entirely to go out and just do it and shoot it continuously for many scenes. And then like, be put up against the franchise of Jurassic Park, the thing that we started this episode saying, this defined me. And the like the public standards of how much did this feel like I was watching a Jurassic Park? I mean, it, it, I would not want this task. You don't want this job. No, I don't want this task. No uh, one does. <laughs> I, I understand, like, I mean, television directing has this problem mm-hmm. too, right? Where it's like, if you're going to direct oh, yeah. an episode of television, you have to be able to direct it in the style that the show is shot. Like, right. Like you have some no shows, power. Not real. Like you're not really able to get super creative with it. In TV directing, to shoot to a template class, uh, or at least my TV directing professor said, you must be surgical. There's a thing in uh, the medical arts, right? First, do no harm. That's mm-hmm. your job as a TV director. Cause you yeah. are, you are there for the day. They're there for the lifetime, uh, which is true. Not true for movies. Um, so on top of that, so really in a way though, he is like a TV as you're pointing out, because as a sequel, this film has the demands of the studio demands that are rooted in the design of the franchise, uh, a franchise that you had no part in making. Right. So they're going to say stuff like we need more Raptor scenes or we need a bigger dinosaur. Uh, both notes that I'm pretty sure were script notes from the beginning for Jurassic park three. They had to be. And a writer had uh, to incorporate them. And the writer probably had feelings about that. But that's not what this is about. These aren't inherently bad things for a studio to want bigger and better or do, you know, whatnot. But, and as a writer, you try to include them all because that's how you get job security. Uh, something that that does, though, is it becomes a distracting format for making any new stories. It becomes more the same and there's less room for new ground. There's no space for a new directorial voice, especially in this movie. Inner Joe Johnston. I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I, baby. I can't imagine a less exciting job description mm-hmm. 
than that for the thing that you mortgaged your whole life to do. Right. Like if you're a director, then that means like if you're really doing it, right? That means, you know, you've made your whole life about doing this craft and what what do you want the most as a director? To be heard. Mm-hmm. To make your voice known. And directing Jurassic Park 3 is about be as invisible as you could possibly be. Literally, like yeah. Don't be, don't rock the boat, man. Just make the fucking movie. And also, movie. don't you fuck this up. You need to be yep. like Steven. All right? Steven, we love Steven. Steven's the best. Right. Be like Steven. Right. Okay. All right. I'm going to figure yeah. out what that means. And uh, <laughs> Nightmare. Nightmare. Absolute nightmare. So yeah. while the f- film was being made, or it was like in the post-production in stage. There's an interview with Johnston about making the film. And he said that Spielberg gave him quote carte blanche over the movie, but he still had input, which is a light way of saying that's not that true. And he said in this interview, (laughs) a quote, and I want to, I want to start this with the whole quote. Although the plot in the movie is based on an idea by Steven, he strongly pointed out that I should not try to copy him. Said, uh, that's a, that's a grim beginning. That's a grim beginning. <laughs> it's like, what, what do you, what am I going to do, man? Make a Tron out of this? Yeah. Like, like I have so, to copy. What are you fucking kidding? Yeah, like, don't yeah. try to like, imagine someone just saying, Hey man, whatever you, I love you, man. Whatever you do, don't try to walk in my shoes. Right. <laughs> don't try <laughs> to be like, me. But I mean, like, it's even more obtuse than that because, like, you know what people love when their beloved franchise feels like a different movie franchise? Uh They love that. That's their favorite thing. You know, (laughs) get out of here. This is where I think this is just one man's opinion, but this is where Johnson went fucking rogue. He went batshit. He became a maverick. And like so many mavericks before, he just didn't listen at all. He took all this information and said, I, a maverick, will copy Spielberg as much as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, you're kind of seeing where my theory is going. Yeah, here. yeah, yeah. Uh, Johnson's debut, he's not like a small-time director. He's this is a, a great movie. He's a big Sorry. deal. Yeah, this movie you're about to mention is yeah. fucking fantastic. Johnson's debut was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, it's a great movie. yeah. And uh, I mean, bef- that was directorial. He, before that, he was a visual effects art director for Star Wars and Indiana Jones. Uh, one of my favorite things to mention about Joe Johnson is that he is the designer of the Iron Giant. Wow. Uh, which is kind of awesome. He yeah. also directed The Rocketeer, The Page Master, Jumanji, Jumanji. October, October Sky. October Sky. These are good movies. Not only that, between those four and the one I just said, that's his first five. Most, I mean, that's a pretty good first five, man. And those are, yeah, that that those are your opening moves. Holy shit! I actually have a high regard for his directorial work for you know the reasons that I think you do as well. He's prop, most probably most popularly known from his Marvel installment, which was Captain America: The First Avenger. That's a good movie too. But Jumanji is fucking legit. Yeah. Like Jumanji, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and October Sky mm-hmm. are very memorable movies from that era. I agree. Like, I mean, so I, I know Captain America is also very memorable, but like, mm-hmm. I would argue anybody that's like Captain America, that's the one. Dude, mm-hmm. are you serious? Right. I don't agree. Honey, I Shrunk the Kids rules. Anyway, that, sorry, continue. Yeah, it does. It does. So 
Jurassic Park 3, though. In this film, yeah, he had yeah, the yeah. unique role of filling Steven Spielberg's shoes. And he became, just for this film, perhaps, maybe it's just the way he is. But he's like the definition of the franchise player. Some might call it weak-willed or, you know, like not as good as Steven Spielberg. And you know what? Maybe there's truth to that. I'm not really going to speak to that. I will speak to, however, his ability to mimic Steven Spielberg in a way that is actually effective. Uh, not in just like playing at it. He actually did it. And I'm going to explain why I think that's true. Uh, in a- Yeah. I, I mean, by the way, watching it, I agree uh-huh. with you. I Good. didn't even know this is the premise of the episode. Uh-huh. Uh, and when I watched it, I, I almost tweeted about eight different times how Spielberg it was. Yeah it's, yeah, it's insane. And I can't yeah. think of anyone else who's done it quite like this. Uh, nope. So one more thing. As a franchise, there's a lot going on in front of the camera that will make it make a Jurassic Park, any Jurassic Park, look like a Jurassic Park, no matter what it, who is shooting it. Location and production design, for example, most of it happens in a rainforest. There's abandoned concrete structures. There's vehicles in various, you know, dismemberment. So the directing work is pretty simple, you know, in that regard. You look at an egg incubator and they all look the same because they are the same. You know, like the designers probably worked in the movies. And if they didn't, they look back at what the previous person did and basically copy it because that's how InGen makes egg incubators or whatnot. So when it comes to how you shoot the movie with a lens, though, someone else was behind these decisions and had no guidance because that's the job of a director. Mm-hmm. I want to start breaking down why it's Spielbergian. I'm ready. The first. I mean, can I just make the, the most yeah. obvious point in the world for. Right. Uh, the audience. So like this is not this is very unusual for a director to to in purposefully imitate another director's work. Why would you like do this? It? Well, there's no there's no pleasure in it, really, as a filmmaker. And also we have so many examples of somebody doing the opposite, mm-hmm. uh, the most famous of which being Aliens. Yeah. Right. Like a movie that's like, I'm not going to do what Ridley was doing. I'm going to mm-hmm. do a completely different idea, although it has sort of the same people. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. it. That's James totally Cameron. It, right? James Cameron, non-franchise player. Right. Uh, I mean, and certainly he's James Cameron, but is he really more powerful at that point in his career than Joe Johnson is at this point in his career? Because I'd say no. No, Joe Johnson's I think it's made good movies at this it's point. It's an arrogance. It's swagger. It's yeah. you know, right. walking into a room saying, I am top dog, baby. Right. And so top like gun. I kind of I kind of admire how the humility of Joe Johnson here for being mm-hmm. willing to do this. Right, me too. Or how much money he got paid? Like whatever, whatever the equation is that turned mm, that delicious out. money. The first shot. Speaking of money, let's take a let's paraglide. Oh baby, to a fantastic, fantastical tropical island with our with our big dollars. The beginning sequence is the paraglider boat sequence, and the way in which it's shot is straight out of Jaws. There's three <laughs> basic shots that are happening, and all three are from Jaws. Yep. There's a shot of the guy who's basically doing the pair, not doing the paragliding, but like ha- like driving the boat who eventually gets like mauled by pterodactyls, I assume. Uh, and the way that shot is done is low angle, like low, low angle, like on the bottom of the boat looking up, handheld inside the hull of the boat. Think of that shot. You see a bunch of sky above them. Yep. Where's that? What does that remind you of? Reminds you of Quint. Reminds you mm-hmm. straight out of Jaws. 
the way in which they shoot the boat and the paragliding in terms of like the the action in terms of like all right now we're going all right now you're flying oh i'm having fun like just like those beats in that set in that sequence are almost exclusively swirling helicopter shots and shot either completely parallel in terms of eyeline and swirling around like a michael bay deal uh or steven spielberg deal or looking straight down top down which is also how jaws is shot uh, look at the above shots looking down at the boats being probably the most well-known uh, aspect of how he shot the boats. The reason that Spielberg, just as an aside, reason Spielberg shot top down at boats is because if you looked at the horizon line, it would reveal that he was shooting most of this stuff like right by land, you right. know, <laughs> because right. you don't want to go into the ocean to shoot a movie. That would be a stupid idea. They still did that. It was a stupid idea. Uh, but it also made Jaws, so here we go. Um, I, I, I also think just the way that he disposes of the boat, Captain, is like also the, very Jaws. Yeah, that, I did not yes. think about that. That is absolutely true. It's like the uh, the buoy. Yep. It's like you, the the aftermath, the uh, uh, and the reason that's straight up that's Spielberg taking from David Lean in the Lawrence of Arabia. When he shows that when uh, right. Lawrence of Arabia dies, uh, spoilers, uh, his <laughs> his his goggles, his his motorcycle goggles, just drifting in the wind on a tree with a little like blood on them, and it's the same thing. It's like oh, there was a lot of violence here, but it's gone now. Um, absolutely, Jaws. I didn't even think about that, and that's like the o- most obvious one. It's Thanks, it, well, it's funny because I feel like only Spielberg can get away with dramaturgy that's that absurd yeah like but he does get away with it like it, he does. i don't know what i don't know what he puts in the secret sauce that makes us accept that uh but it, uh, because i was watching this movie with a slightly more critical eye like it was like oh wow he's trying to get away with one of those vaudeville spielberg things when mm-hmm. <laughs> these people just disappear mm-hmm. for reasons we don't understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh not quite as successful but he tried it you know <laughs> yeah he definitely yeah. did in the second sequence, Grant and Sadler discuss the Velociraptor's social sophistication and kind of reflect on the events of the first movie. We find out that Grant and Sadler moved on. After the events of the first movie, Sadler had kids. Grant did not, which sets up the idea that he's awkward around kids, or he's still awkward around kids. In that short dialogue scene, singles are shot several inches under the eyes. It's The reason I picked this one up, because it's a very mundane way to approach <clears throat> how Spielberg does like a tendency of Spielberg's um, which is that he will usually shoot a few inches under the eyes for like the wider shots. And by wider, I mean medium close up to medium, like where you're seeing like, you know, usually the down to the belly, usually a little head room uh, in this middle space before you get to like really a close up where it's just the face. Um, he usually is under the eyes um, and as the scene hits its resonant movement, a very Spielbergian thing to do is to c- camera dolly or like slide in and boom up toward the eye height. So it's like as a trademark, that's a trademark Spielberg. Think of uh, most scenes where Spielberg's characters have an aha moment. Let's say the boardroom pitch in the original Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, we didn't stop to think if we should, yada, 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 yada. We're selling it. We're selling it. All that stuff is done like when you think of Alan Grant having 
a moment where he speaks truth to power in that scene. The camera does that same dolly and boom up at the eyes. It's because we're getting closer to the eyes. We're getting closer to like, you know, just the um, what what uh, Alan's thinking. And he does that when he's talking about in this movie and he's talking about the Raptors and he's getting they're so sophisticated. We see that again. It's not an important scene. In fact, it only really sets up something about we're going to get really smart velociraptors in this movie. It really only sets it up for another scene that does the same thing when he's like, okay, and also we're developing this like sound. It's we can sound like them now. It's not needed, except for the fact that it's a very Spielbergian way to do it. It feels very Spielberg. So boom, boom. We have a first scene, quote, second scene, a trend, or in other words, just a tendency of Spielberg and and a very mundane one at that one that would you're not going to think about a lot. It's not a set piece. It's not like a Jeep, for example, you know, falling on the out of the trees. Uh, There are also in the sequence flashes of compound shots. Um, something that Spielberg is also well known for. I think most of the wide shots in these sequences are not true wide shots, but rather show how graphic uh, geographically there's a setup of a scene moving from one actor to one other object or another uh, actor. Uh, he he kind of does these wider shots that are not as wide as you'd think where you're just like, here's everything displayed. There's a, you know, a plane over here and there's a guy over there. No, something he does is he chooses to show uh, geography Spielberg. That is through compound shots where we follow one person in a slightly wide, but not that wide moving over here and the camera pans and moves. And then, Oh, you see the background and a, a reveal of a bunch of other stuff like another plane or an actor uh, in the same way. Johnson moves Dolly and pans of subjects until they arrive at another object, mm-hmm. usually almost entirely behind where the camera was originally pointing. So this is kind of like passing the action of a hot potato. Like here's focus on this move over, hand that hot potato, focus on that hand, that hot potato, focus on that. That is very Spielberg. It's a lot of people yep. too. It's uh, there's a lot of reason why Spielberg's good. Uh, and he's taking from the greats, you know, like, Kurosawa does this, right? You know, Kubrick does this. Yeah. So it's not Spielbergian in that regard, but it's something that makes Jurassic Park tick. It's the visual handoff, following a thread of action from one place to another. Spielberg is excellent at two frames: the first mm-hmm. frame being cool, and then an interesting transition to a second frame you didn't expect. That's also exactly. cool. He's the, yeah. he's the master of it. I studied it pretty like intensely for. Uh, one of the Star Wars things we did at Cracked. Right, And, right. like, it really impressed me. It's like, man, he he's so good at, at, like, even if it's just a pan, it's like panning from this to that. Both of the frames are really interesting. Right. That transitionary phase is also really important. I, call, yeah. I always consider it, like, the glue uh, and it, between the blocking that allows us to see, like, a wider panorama, for example. We see, by doing a move like that, we see 180 degrees of the landscape. Kind of like more yeah. than a wide would show because we're kind of, yeah. yeah. Also, uh, like he uses it to, sometimes he'll use these reveals to like, how do I explain, to like uh, give us more texture about the way to feel about the scene. Like, uh, I think my favorite example of that, and it's because just this camera was very iconic, uh, is in Minority Report, a great movie. 
uh, a lot of the scenes in, or like like a lot of the shots when they're like red balling right up top, start mm-hmm. with an interesting frame through the glass, you know, like while they're operating a thing, and then mm-hmm. like may rack to somebody or something, and then move to another frame that teaches us another thing about how this thing mm-hmm. works, like how mm-hmm. and gives us emotional content somewhere in the background. Like it's it, he's just really fucking good at it. Um, yeah, think of the uh, when we're talking about the reveals. Think about Samuel L. Jackson's arm reveal in Jurassic Park Three, right? Yep, we that's follow a good one. Sad, follow Sadler, enter. It pans with her, and then the camera movement reveals his bloody arm, and then she like screams when she sees it. You can kind of see this shot. Mm-hmm, we're all pretty mm-hmm. familiar with the shot because most of us have watched Jurassic Park so many times. In Jurassic Park Three. There's the th- in the third sequence of the movie, so like I think it's around like t- ten minutes or so. Um, it introduced <clears throat> a more sinister motivation for the excursion. That's kind of the, the the subtext of the scene. We see a man spray paint sp- sp- spray spray pr- paint a plane. That's hard to say. Mm-hmm. And then it follows him to another man holding huge rounds for an enormous gun. Can la- uh, camera lands on the bullets as they're being like loaded into the gun. So Mm -hmm. much like Sadler seeing the arm in Jurassic park, Joe Johnson is using the same filmic vocabulary and syntax as Spielberg. And that becomes very important. It's not same beat in any way. One place to surprise. I found an arm. The other is just plot development. Oh, what's what's with this guy. And why does he have this enormous gun? Uh, But the camera mechanic is the same. Yeah. But but the but the actual object is less emotionally interesting when he deploys it, right? Like yeah, like that's that's the difference. Well, right? not it's all like, scenes are equal, but right, right, that's right, the course. thing. Spielberg would do it. Spielberg would do it this way. Is my point? Yes, he, yeah, he probably would. Uh, he probably would. Although those guns, do they ever show up again? Uh, no, because it's almost immediately hijacked because they're not prepared at all. Right. Um, that's the thing is the guns are way bigger than you would need. But like not big enough, like they're they're not helpful because you have to like set the gun up, like put it into the ground and then you can fire it. You know, it's like it's like a mini gun. So when are you going to have the time to like get the drop on a dinosaur to like set that thing up? It's very dumb. You need a grenade or to run. (laughs) Well, see, that's I I think that's an interesting point of contrast is like, I mean, you know, I don't want to venerate Spielberg too much, but like. Right. I feel like Spielberg also would know those guns don't matter. You right. know what I mean? Like he like and I the way that it's That's shot true. suggests they do matter. Uh which but is I think why we miss them later. They also have because we have the uh the T. Leone William H. M. A. C. reveal. Yes, we uh, do. which is that they're later. So they're doing work in terms of like, oh, they they're employing these people, but they're not the best people because they're not really that rich, you know? True. So um, let's talk about set pieces because yeah. as soon as we get to the island, we get some huge set pieces almost immediately. Set pieces that are directly from, and if you didn't notice this, Jurassic Park 1 that are just in Jurassic Park 3. Like the p- plane fuselage crashing mm-hmm. when they arrive and being attacked by the Spinosaurus, which is the bigger, badder dinosaur in Jurassic Park 3. It plays the same games as when the T-Rex in JP1 uh takes on the jeep one there's part of the sequence where it falls from a tree we see a similar shot in this movie as the cabin falls down from camera 
revealing that revealing the forest background as it falls away from camera. I think in both cases, the way that they shot this is it literally rig a cage like the Jeep or the fuselage and then just drop it with a line and caught it before it hit the ground and camera would just stay static. That's kind of an impressive uh, a feat, you know, in terms of like, it looks cool, but it's it like hard cool. to do, Yeah. but they did it for both movies. And not only that, they did it in the same exact way. A second one that happens immediately in the sequence is a dinosaur steps on and crushes the cabin and like makes it concave at a point, shrinking the space that the humans can navigate even within their limited space. They have that happens in both films, literally the same shot. Yeah. Three, a shot of the humans running out of the fuselage slash Jeep, while the dinosaur rummages through the wreckage, thinking that they're still in there, and then before seeing them, as they're running away, starts to chase after them. That allows them a little time to get away, and it in both cases, in Jurassic Park and in Jurassic Park 3, it's done in a low-angle dolly pullback. Um, so it's like literally paint by numbers at this point. Right, uh, and it's just like, I mean, I'm sure you're going to get here, but like, this is like I guess maybe the aud- the movie audience is probably not as cynical at this point in history as they are now. I think if you did this now, like I could like imagine Star Wars, for instance, right? They like, do do this now. That's I, what right. Jurassic World is, right? And I think people get mad about it now mm-hmm. because they're more aware of this fact. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, uh, I think they're more. They've seen it. Again and again and again and again. Yeah, and maybe that's what it is. And they're yeah. like, oh, the repetition. Now I'm starting to see it's all the same. Uh, yeah. And it's stuff like this. Um, another time that it happens immediately after the sequence, the T-Rex appears and fights the Spinosaurus. And the Spinosaurus wins, which shows that it's even bigger and better. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Everyone loves this one. Yeah. This is, you know, obviously a cliche studio note. We're all thinking it we always want to point out that kind of sequel mentality that makes people's eyes roll or you right, know, right, as right. you did it's forced and it sucks because it lacks the charm of the original. Got it. It wasn't out of the story. It's just happening. And we dislike it because we feel like someone's telling us, remember that really badass thing. This is even more badass. That's just not making a badass. Right? So, Here's why I think we all feel that, though, on a more atomic level. The fight itself follows the same blocking and angles as the original T-Rex fight. Once again, paint by numbers. It has the same sweep and tail kick that mirrors uh, JP-1's original T-Rex fight with the Raptors. Same framing in the wide shot. Think of the banner falling and it, you know, doing its roar at the end of the movie. The same basic motion and frame. If you go and watch JP-3 now... The Spinosaurus does the same kind of pose. In this movie, like the Spinosaurus is just the T-Rex. It's just a mimicry of the Jeep scene. It's just a mimicry of that one shot, that tail kick, same thing. So like what's going on here is they're just trying to tell us the reason it's badass is remember it was badass. The thing that we did worked on you. So we're doing it again. And we're doing it on not just set pieces. We're doing it on a camera level. Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, like that just sounds. Yeah, uh, no, we hate it. You should, you should hate this. I want, yeah, I want to be arguing. Yeah. I want to be arguing with it uh, on every level. Uh, But I appreciate the the meticulous 
I actually, well, as a person who's done shot like shot episodes of a show I didn't create, as have you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I respect this. I respect the level of detail that went into this job, and you know, directing is a job still. You know, yeah. like it's not it, it's not a hobby uh, mm-hmm. unless you're incredibly rich. It's a it's a job. So like you know, it could be a job sometimes. It's just I'm kind not- of a bummer. You know? I'm not saying that this is why we should dislike Joe Johnson. You'd be missing oh, the all. point yeah, if yeah. you did. I'm saying this is why you probably don't like it because right. it looks so, it's uncanny valley. Right. It looks so close. And you get cynical about an experience when you've already had it. Like I think everybody's antennas are up with sequels uh-huh. about like I think so. Give me the same thing only different, man. Like that's the rule, right? You know. Look, it's really hard to watch a movie and at the same time have an analytical kind of assessment of what you just saw in a matter of seconds. Agreed. It takes context and backing up away from the movie and seeing it uh, relative to like how people enjoy it and such to really see the truth of the movie. I'm bringing this up because I think it's an interesting dissection into how sequels work and what our relationship with sequels are. But the work stays the same, and that's interesting to me. Let's get away from set pieces a bit. We'll come okay. back to it later. Cool. I want to get more back into the mundane sequences and strategies that Johnson takes a page out of Spielberg's book again. Uh, there's something that I'm just calling, for lack of a better name, uh, called the like I'm calling the J- Jurassic Park Forest Walk and Talk. Imagine <laughs> yeah, if you would. Yeah, 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 yeah. Imagine if you would a group of people walk in a direction in the rainforest. The camera backs up looking at their faces as they step forward toward kind of off camera, but like toward camera. We start with a frame where someone is close to camera. Let's say they say a line, they exit the shot. And then we realize that they were foregrounding two other characters who have a few more lines of dialogue. Then the camera slows down and slight slightly as they speed up and exit that frame. Yeah. And now two characters who you didn't even know were there, who were trailing at the end of the group, file in and fill in the empty space. Compound shot. There's three shots, a single of a a person, a two shot, and then a two shot of two different people with transitions in between. This is a basic way in which Spielberg would shoot a forest walk and talk. The reason I say that it's literally like four times in Jurassic Park. Like yeah. this literal procession of events. It's also literally in Jurassic Park 3. A lot uh, of people imitate it too. Like like it's that like it's that famous that like mm-hmm. it's sort of the way you do like what you might like sort of a Shakespearean one-liner. Mm-hmm. It's sort of the way you do it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh like for, for instance uh the the show West Wing, right, with all of its steady cam moves and stuff. They have right. all kinds of times where the camera they, changes pace to let a, a one liner happen in the middle of the walk and talk. Yeah. And it's like passing the torch and then there's like interludes. Yes. Um, and if you're looking, watch Jurassic Park because, you know, go ahead. You can count them. I can't I can't remember. It's three or four. But if you're looking for it in Jurassic Park three, it happens after they're free and away from the Spinosaurus battle. And yeah. they're en route to the abandoned science lab for the first time. How often so is they that? Have yet to find the kid. How often is that last line a joke? Like where it uh, sort of it depends on the tone. Uh, I don't know. Like as as often as I think they're, I don't know. It's like it, a few times, but I don't think all the time. It's pretty. Usually, buttony. it's 
It's a pretty buttony tactic. Spielberg doesn't do a lot of jokes. Uh, we just remember them because he surrounds them with a, he puts high a stakes. Yeah, yeah. And he puts a button on it. So he, you do notice it because it is allowed. It feels uh, relativistically, um, you know, different because he's usually so high stakes. Often, more often than not, it's someone saying a resonant, th- resonant thematic line. Right. Something with a dramatic argument. Like, we just didn't stop to think if we should. You know, these kind of <laughs> statements right. uh, are usually reserved for a dolly that ends on something. Now, if it's in motion, this is just how you create stillness out of a walk and talk. It's kind of brilliant. He, yeah, like the the genius of it is that it's kind of allows you to underline that last line a little mm-hmm. bit. So mm-hmm. it like sticks in the audience's mind a little longer than most lines of dialogue do. Yes. Yes. For one for one of several purposes, a joke or to raise the stakes for the next scene or mm-hmm. to hammer a theme uh or for a bait and switch, right? Like a where's the goat? Like mm-hmm. that kind of a line, you know? Like it's he didn't do that for that line, but like Right. That line <laughs> sticks in your mind. Why? Because the immediate response of it uh, to it is like a like a he countermands it's, it, and this yeah. tactic helps that happen too. It's it's interesting. It's funny you mention that because uh, when Spielberg, there's a class at USC you can take that Spielberg comes and talks at the end. It's like a big deal they mm-hmm. do the whole like mm-hmm. you know royal treat you like royalty kind of deal as you know would be expected out of out of a school that he gave a lot of money to, and you know even though he didn't go there, he went to Long Beach like. Um, he, he's he's tied to usc because he used a lot of their crews and stuff early on yes. so he kind of feels like a uh you know member of the family he's so an honorary speak. alumni right honorary you know, yeah. alumni but like yeah so he came and he talked and i forget what the question was but he, he kind of went on a rant about boredom and he said like people talk about and i'm you know when we talk about movies people say if you're boring you're dead and i can't i, I just i can't agree i can't agree with that at all He's like, the whole point is that it's dynamic. And in order to feel dynamics, you have to be bored sometimes. You have to have quiet to have loud. And I thought that that's very true. It's and wise. I think that yeah. when, and I think that that's kind of, uh, if there's a practice, what he's, him and Joe Johnson are doing is they're following a rule about like how, like the elucidation of that. Like in, they're saying, Sometimes in order for a line to be resonant or something, for example, you let it land right. and you hold. Right. You, you can't just be constant. And uh, yeah, there's wisdom in that. Well, yeah, um, I mean, this shot that you're describing is literally a, a pace, like the camera changes pace to give you a new effects. Yes, exactly. Right. So it's like a, it's like a literal manifestation of that emotional truth, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just cause I'm going chronologically, I'm going to go sure, back sure. to set piece for just a second. I wanted you to. Uh, in the middle of the raptor fight. So yeah, they arrive at the abandoned science lab and the raptors are there. And that's where the, you know, where the best uh, shot in cinema the history shot happens. In the <laughs> cinema history happens where the raptors like, you know how you think that I'm dead because that's obviously what humans would think. Guess what? I'm not, I've been acting this whole time. Yeah. I'm the best raptor <laughs> actor of all time. Uh, in the middle of the raptor fight after that, at one point the raptor pokes its little claws through its chain link, trying to climb up it while a human is pinned against a wall on the other side of the fence what does that sound familiar or where's that from i think you're getting what i'm saying Mm -hmm. as the raptor chase moves to outside we get a rehash of the running gallimimus scene in jurassic park you know you remember the the field with the herd yeah it's very great it's great uh when a herd approaches almost tramples the gang 
in uh, Jurassic Park 3. They run from the raptors from the first structure and are immediately in a clearing. Uh, it's a moving from one location to another. I love uh, the first iteration of this movement in Jurassic Park 1 because it's more about the human stumbling upon something that seems completely safe and it's different from the rainforest, which behind every bush could be another dinosaur. They feel like they have more of like their landscape in control. So it shocks us with the absolute control of the environment by the dinosaurs. They override this quiet place. You know, that's kind of a beautiful uh, thematic kind of a, uh, announcement mm-hmm. of like what the dramatic argument in the movie is. Humans think they can do a thing. Nature be like, nah. Yeah. Um, Life finds a way. Here in Jurassic Park three, it's just up. It's just up to the challenge of the. It's just to like up the challenge of the gang, right? Like it's, they're already being chased. This is just another hurdle. At best, it's just a more chaotic, exciting sequence. But at the sacrifice of the meditation we had in the first film, I say that just to juxtapose the purpose of those moments. Not to say that. Jurassic Park 3, they should have rehashed the same beat as they did in uh, OPJP. To me, it's more indicative of how these references are deployed. In Jurassic Park 3, they're deployed on top of, not for their own purpose. They're callbacks. They're, look at this. There's Space Jam 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you know? right. And no, you're right. And uh, that's the sequel, sequel mentality. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bummer. I mean, again, because like... It shows you that it's not all camera tricks. You know what I mean? Like that, like Spielberg's talent is not just in creating an interesting Mm-mm. set of camera moves, it's, but he, he he also holds the hand of the writers, really yeah, well, or and, chooses the right person to write it, you know? right? And also he like he's able to squeeze a little more juice out of that orange than a person imitating his method. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and I know, think sometimes a lot. I more. think most. I think most people acknowledge the fact that like. Or at least it's like pretty well thought of, or like a lot of people have the knee jerk reaction, which I think has truth in it that the studio has these notes of bigger, faster, more intense. And it's like, yeah, but at what cost? You know, and that's not what it's not what Stevie would do. Stevie wouldn't be like, how can I make this moment that doesn't want to be big? How do I make it bigger? It's not about that. Maybe the moment should be small, you know? I mean, he also has um, that luxury. He also has the luxury you know. of just being trusted. Yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's also made bad sequels. You know? He's made bad films. It, well, um, specifically sequels. Yeah. You know? it's Sequels are tough. Sequels are tough. Um, I think he proves that. Another very, like, <clears throat> getting back to the directory aspect of this, you know, examination. Uh, transitioning from one location to another is like a thing. Usually a wide is smart to show that, right? Um the way this herd sequence that I was just talking about is shot is very, is a very wide over the um, overhead kind of view shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Then we see the gang running in. We're looking down at them and their shadows that like cascade across the field, uh, looking behind them as the dinosaurs chase. And as they cut through the shot, the dinosaurs chase uh, behind them. Camera height is, when we're on the ground looking at the humans camera height is about at the knee level and it's dollying back quickly back with them. And they overtake the speed of the dolly starts by going faster. 
than them. But by the time the dinosaurs are getting even closer, the humans overrun camera and like they now the dinosaurs occupy that spot. Basically, it's a shot for shot recreation in Jurassic Park 3 as Jurassic Park 1. There's even a clever girl shot. Oh, of course. You know, the very close shot of Muldoon's face. He rears back, camera focus, racks to the leaves, and then a raptor bursts out from the background. In Jurassic Park 3, when the raptor set a trap, which, is, <laughs> which, which for the sake of this podcast is fine. It's fine I that mean, they set a trap. It's something. Yeah. It's something. They, they, they leave one of the groups wounded. Michael Jeter is the name of the actor. Uh, Poor guy. Wounded in the clean. Yeah. yeah, the humans cautiously approach. And then T. Leone fucks everything up and gets all wrapped up in a bunch of vines. And the raptors jump and try to bite her down, but she's out of reach. So they give up. I guess that's what raptors are like. Ah, this one's too tough. But wink, wink, nudge, nudge. They're not. They actually are one ahead of us. They break Michael Jeter's neck and leave. Right. Very cool. Very raptory. Breaking someone's neck. Right. Uh, it was like a mobster move. It's like yeah. here's what happens Just to your like, friend. Yeah. And then there's a shot where Grant looks on at the clearing, and he's like, Ah, they left. The raptors are so stupid. We got them. Then he takes down, takes a breath. Camera booms down with him as he just you know takes a beat behind that log. Then after the brief pause, he pokes his head back up and see Raptor surprise. (laughs) And it's the same idea as the clever girl shot. Uh, It's, you know, not as condensed. It's not as quick and not as the same mechanization and not as not as perfect or same mechanics because because Muldoon's relationship with the Raptors is so love hate Mm -hmm. that his Mm -hmm. death. Like the line clever girl is it so, contextually means everything. So and they good. like hate yeah. him because he abuses them and such. Right. You know it. Right. He's shoot her. You yeah. know, like it's all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. 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 Uh, absolutely. Also, I mean, yeah. And like, all, he's like playing chess. He's the one who like, who respects the Raptors, right? He's the one playing chess. And it's like, fuck. Oh yeah, for me. sure. It's great. Yeah. It's very good. Whereas Alan Grant seems to be in love with them. The right. guy's just he, the guy digs in the ground for bones. Well, he's you know, in love like, with raptors. I, like I, that, he you, is in you love cannot with raptors. argue that with me. Like, like not you, yeah. a, you, anyone. I, it's like no, man. Anyone, he, he loves does love raptors. Yeah, he loves them. No one's arguing. It's all right. Calm down. No one's arguing <laughs> with you. It was uh, like, wow, man, wow. He really loves. It's them. Like, don't you dare come to me with that shit. Don't you be like, no, uh, he, he appreciates them. No, he doesn't. He loves them. <laughs> all right, please. At go this on. point. It, at this point, I feel like I've kind of made my case, at least with the copycat stuff. Like, but I yeah. want to do due diligence because I think it's kind of cool if any of these stick with you. You know, if you're at a party and you're like, "Hey, what's up, girl? You want to know the difference between uh, the similarities between Dress Park and Dress Park Three? <laughs> All right, I just want to do due diligence and give you a few more, like, lightning round yeah. uh, of references uh, done in the same exact way. Uh, riding down the boat uh in and it's like look at these peaceful dinosaurs moment uh in jurassic park 3 yeah is the same as when they first see the dinosaurs in all of the you know herbivores in the wide field and the first one music swells uh to get a phone at one point they have to put their hands in dino shit for no (laughs) for no reason after they get the phone, there's a monsoon. I know that that's how weather works. I Look, I understand how weather works. Sometimes there's monsoons. It's just, but it's just there. It feels weird. It's like no one knew or to, like looked into it. I guess they wouldn't 
no to but it's just funny uh that like they just make it happen the scene before the t-rex scene or like the spinosaurus comes back because they just want to ape the t-rex scene from jurassic park because the rain persists literally just to the sequence because if they turned it on at the sequence we would all go like "Ah, i see what you did you just made rain so it'd look exactly like the t-rex eating the goat and stuff but no it's uh they did it one sequence before so you're like ah they they know they know the creators of this movie know that this will be a problem. Um, it seems like they did. Like, I, like, I, would you be surprised to hear that at the beginning of this film and development, they're trying to avoid th- it. Well, they no, they just like did a spreadsheet with a bunch of like, here are the beats we'd like to repeat, mm-hmm. right? And then like, kind of yeah, worked absolutely. out how can we make them feel That's like how they're this not- movie was written. Yeah, it seems like, like- it. yeah. Like it's just a concept of like, well, let's get Alan Grant back on the island. Oh, that's a movie. Yeah, it is a movie. All right, what's that movie look like? Well, it should just be Jurassic Park, greatest hits, and that's and the, like the last the movie ends in a helicopter ride as Grant smirks literally. So yeah, like, he does. Like, and that's kind of the rub is that you're getting these conflicting notes, right? You're Joe Johnston, and you're being handed this one piece of paper that says, "Do everything like Steven Spielberg." And then you're getting another note that says we can't make it look too much like Jurassic Park or it's obvious. Or people get mad. People will hate it. Right. And when he goes to the man himself, and I want to just say that quote again, when he went to Spielberg and is like, hey, man, you got any info for me? You got anything? The man said, although the plot of the movie is based on an idea by Steven. He strongly pointed out that I should not try to copy him. I mean, he's that's, right. That's fucked. That's fucked up, man. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff in the Spielberg toolkit that is done in this film. Like um, if you're interested in any more, like one of my favorite ones that isn't really the bulk. Like I just noticed it and it isn't really the bulk of the theory. It's not as clean cut as like, paint by numbers right right but like something i love and i think people will be interested about is that misleads are really important as a director um and spielberg does it in his walking wides in his forced walk and talks or his you know like two people sitting uh in the forest and we're just having that moment in between like the set piece moments where the the dinosaurs attack like when eric and alan uh eric being the little kid uh are walking to toward the coast in like the middle of the film um, or l- mid to late of the film, the wide shots will dolly with them often with the whole shot being coverage of just like the quick scene of the dialogue. They stop cuts to a single cuts to a single talk, 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 talk. All right. Cut back to a two shot wider. They keep walking. Um, and then the two at the exit of this sequence, they turn and walk on the Z axis away from camera and they like get lost in the bushes away from cameras. Like it obscures it from camera camera at that point, And this is what I mean by misleads continues to dolly to the side and booms down. This leads us to think that maybe we're going to get another piece of information thinking about compound shots from our earlier examples of the cam- the, the camera's journey is going to take us to something like, a reveal of a dinosaur looking on or something plot pertinent. Think of how in Jurassic park one, they reveal the eggs in the wild. It's this kind of boom shot that moves past down the log to see broken open eggs 
after the, a whole scene has happened between two people that informs us using dramatic irony. In other words, the actors don't know, but we do, um, or the characters don't know, but we do that they are breeding in the wild. Um, that's a reveal that happens. So for every, if you keep doing that though, if you keep camera moving in that way, you start to form a lexicon with the audience. It says a type of shot, this type of shot with this momentum is promising a reveal and the viewer starts to expect it. Right. And playing with that expectation is something that Spielberg also does. He does misleads. He'll move camera over and you're like, Oh shit. Some- oh, no, no cut away. Yeah. He's great. Johnson at that. does that here as well and this is not taken from any particular moment that i could like scan one-to-one with jurassic park one but it's something that both directors did because i think it's something that johnston just intuitively knew that spielberg would do it yeah i mean if if he's if he's putting himself in the headspace of a different director Mm -hmm. then like you can you can trust that the inspiration for how to solve a dramatic unit of a scene, even if there's no like obvious antecedent to it, it's going to mm-hmm. still feel in tone. Yeah. You know, like, like, uh, I mean, <laughs> we're not going to probably talk about this today, but like AI is a great study in this, in this because it's Spielberg imitating Kubrick. Right. And yeah, like, that's a mind fuck unsuccessfully. It's in, in a lot I wish of ways. I knew so much about it, but they keep, they keep that, um, production under pretty close close to their heart or close to the chest because like i want to know like what was originally kubrick's like what's unchanged i think uh, and what is uh, what, spielberg unwrapping i've heard that the ending is spielberg's and most of the rest I, of it yeah is i think that that's kubrick's. almost 100 percent because it's such a spielberg ending uh but i mean i want to know like what the approach is what like like what yeah. did, of the i want to see Kubrick's notes, and I want to see what Steven Spielberg did. I think his notes are available. Like I've seen stuff out awesome. there that's like, like I like Kubrick. Obviously, it, Kubrick wanted it to be darker than it is. Obviously, no, they uh, disagree almost fundamentally. It's hilarious that they like are so they loved each other so much. You know, uh, but I think that I makes mean, a lot of not. sense, They're right? Humans, I love that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It's like game rec- recognized game. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure that they got along swimmingly because they're both, you know, like they were pretty you know, not good people in the case of Kubrick, but like, I mean, yeah, good to other white men, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't, either, but, right. I won't speak to, uh, well, I don't really know, but it like, seems like it makes sense that they would get along. Um, but they are great at what they do. So that conversation would be like, ah, to be a fly on the wall. Right. I mean, right. Also, I think they just like had an ongoing dialogue for years and years. Yes. Like, I feel yeah. like, I think, st- like, Stanley just called him and Steven was like, great, let's have a, let's have a chat. And then that's, and he pitched him the movie like, oh, okay, you want to talk about a movie? You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of their relationship. Did I ever tell you the, sam- did I ever tell you the sandwich story that I heard? I know I've told you, but I don't know if I've told it on. I'm ready to hear it. I, I mean, like I don't want I to have... derail your, I don't want to derail your. No, I just want to be okay. real quick. Sure, I just sure. think it's hilarious. At one point, according to Spielberg. Uh, this is all from Spielberg's mouth uh, in these nighttime co- conversations. And usually because like Kubrick was living in like Europe and stuff, he would call him at wacky hours. Right. And uh, Spielberg, because it's Kubrick would just be like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm going to listen and I'm going to talk. I mean, it's Kubrick on the line. And um, 
they would have these conversations, especially as it was getting toward the end, they were having more and more. And uh, Kubrick was the kind of person who uh, wanted everything done for him and was willing to pay for right. it. Uh, so he had a lot of like staff, right? Uh, and uh, one of his staff was like real close, like kind of a real close friend as well, or like they were like they lived with each other basically. I can't remember the specifics of the relationship, but he just called her like Martha, I think, or it was Marsha or something like that. It wouldn't be Marsha. I think I'm thinking of George Lucas and Luke George Lucas's wife, but like, um. <clears throat> he would call and he he would say like make i would i would like like i'm now eating dinner and he would call steven spielberg eat his dinner while he was talking to steven spielberg and one time he like swallowed some of his sandwich <laughs> okay and it, like got caught oh <laughs> got wow caught in his throat, yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's and right and he couldn't breathe yeah, yeah. and he couldn't yell out so he told steven spielberg to say i'm choking <laughs> call back i'm going to hang up the phone tell martha to get to like get the ambulance and then he like hung up steven spielberg could have just let kubrick die <laughs> but he didn't he saved him he called martha wow i can't remember the specifics of it but i remember i remember like in terms of like the names in the story and stuff so but eccentric. i just thought that, that was always hilarious yeah very eccentric it's like such an eccentric story anyway <laughs> it's such a silly story i don't know i just it really is I think it's cute. It has like a wholesome energy to it. Um, I like how sweet their friendship is. You know, like uh, yeah, Spielberg is a very sweet person. He seems you know? to be. Yeah, he sure seems to be. Yeah, absolutely is. Like, you, he's very, uh, he's very soft spoken. I don't know. I just don't. I don't want this to turn into like me with like hearts. You love in him my though. Eyes. Look, I love him. Um, but yeah, I, I do want to get back to Tash. Sure, sure. And there's one last thing I want to talk Great. about. Really. Which is, let's talk about when Joe Johnson makes digressions. When he like, when he when he breaks off and does his Joe Johnson. He breaks thing. off. Yeah, he finds the the, pe- the pathless traveled. Yeah, he becomes a true maverick. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, rejects which, his own idea. He rejects his own ideas uh, of copying someone. Uh, so he shoots dialogue scenes fairly conventionally, and Spielberg. It's not that Spielberg won't. He just doesn't often do it. He tries to find a different way of doing it. Um, one of the things that Spielberg doesn't do is the typical over-the-shoulder two-shot. Uh, and what that looks like is a shot of like two people, and there's you see a part of the shoulder of someone literally in frame of someone look who who whomever the subject is talking to and and then it cuts in the reverse and same you've seen it in tv you see it in most media it's like how do you do uh, over the sh- how do you do with dialogue um that shoulders got a lot of problems for spielberg for some reason he doesn't like it he um there's nothing wrong with including or not including it's just how he typically covers scenes less with it. He usually puts more of the body in the frame or just cuts it out entirely. Uh, it's not just the slightly cutting of the shoulder. Now this is more conventional filmmaking and Joe Johnson does the conventional thing. Uh, also Johnson's coverage of dialogue is much more telephoto and cropped closer than Spielberg that in terms of the film plane. Yeah. Yeah. Also 
the other thing I'm noticing is that as these, cause I, yeah, we're, as we watch it on, um, digital spaces, uh, the original Jurassic Park was shot, shot in one eight five Academy aspect ratio, which is wider and kind of close to the 16 by nine. Most people are used to when watching TV, you know, cause that's what the shit that, that is the ratio of our, uh, LCD screens, right? Um, and so Blu-rays often blow that uh, 185 into the uh, 16 by 9, right? Uh, you see, you can imagine it right now in your head with just just a little bit of the letterboxing, just a little bit of that black bar on top and bottom. Uh, widescreen uh, or like two, like uh, two three five or you know something like that. Like that has a lot bigger. That's like the wider, more epic kind of um, cinema scopes that we're familiar with in movies now. Like think of every Marvel movie, think of every Indiana Jones even uh, made that jump as it got more modern. Um, <clears throat> Johnson is still sticking with the Academy ratio. So it's not that his crops are being done because of our digital um spaces that we watch these things on and like the, the monitors that we use, that is typically why some movies look very bad. That's not the case in this case. Uh, he's, he's literally zooming in or like the term is telephoto. He's cropping a little closer than Spielberg. He could walk the lens back, but he just chooses not to do that. Um, his, you'll notice mostly he crops, a lot more headroom and in, in the singles and even two shots where there's like very little headroom at all. And it's just like the middle of the chest and up. Uh, but I think for the most part, Joe Johnson does do wide shots like Spielberg, but his dialogue and his coverage, it's something about that. I think it's like, it's probably because he doesn't, Joe Johnson, he doesn't feel as, he doesn't feel as committed to and creating or, yeah. a Spielberg moment in what is clearly just dialogue. Yeah, the mundane moments. Yeah, the, that's when you feel like, him more, which is a the boring parts. Yeah. The, the the cinematically less less appetizing pieces, right? Uh, yeah, it's, they're not running and stuff. Right, that's a shame. I mean, I understand that though. Like I like it, it, when there's no precedent to follow. That's when your sort of instincts start to kick in. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, yeah. 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 It's. You look, some of these filmmaking tricks may sound like conventional wisdom, and I'm just passing it off as like Spielberg's tricks. And there's some truth to that. They kind of are. In our postmodern kind of highly discerning eye, all of us as view, like Hitchcock once said, I wouldn't like, I would hate to make film uh, films for an audience in a hundred years. Cause he knew that even just in his small career, like small career, small amount of time relative to the, length that film has been in the world he knew that people were like expecting his tricks he was like i i hate that i like i like my tricks i don't want to change my tricks i don't want to be uh irrelevant is basically what he's saying right and as we watch more media consume more media see different types of media which are all beautiful things it's the nature of storytelling it's the the heart of it is to see as many stories as you can right get that experience spielberg's tricks have become conventional wisdom because it's so good. And he took, you know, uh, he stood on the shoulders of geniuses and giants. 
<laughs> and before he even knew and, what he uh, had. <laughs> before he knew what he had. Uh, and so it's, but I just think it's important to focus not just on the wisdom of a way a particular shot conveys something. That is important. But I just wanted to point out that the tricks that Spielberg used in uh, Jurassic Park 1 and 2, and then realize that as a second director, you take the reins of that franchise. Johnson also knew that people would expect that Jurassic Park experience. So that's why he kind of mimicked them a lot, especially in the mundane stuff. Uh, we never saw Spielberg shoot a pterodactyl chase sequence, so there's some you know, new things in this movie. Um, but we did see how he shot Raptors and how he shot a Jeep getting crushed, for example. And I think that uh, Johnson's really took it to like what he thought his job was, was to take the new stuff and give it the old stuff. Um, like give it the shoot it in the way that he would, what would Steven do kind of thing. Yeah. And I don't know. That's rough. But it's also how you become a franchise player. I just wanted to show that make dichotomy. a paycheck. I wanted to shine a light on that. I'm not like if you're like I don't know. I sometimes the expectation of these you know podcast things are uh, here's a great that we come reveal. away with like Jurassic. Yeah, that Jurassic Park three was is actually secretly good. Or I think that's up to you. Well, and I think you've yeah. elocuted perfectly the craftsmanship of JP three, like how meticulous it really is. Because it yeah. takes that kind of meticulous work to imitate another director. Like it's I think it's actually very challenging to effectively I think it's imitate hard. another director. Because you have to you yeah. have to have your own feelings and thoughts about what the scene is and how to do it. And then you have to try to speak in a different language. You know? Yeah, it's like every time every day you go to the board and you erase the board. Right. And you replace it with all a different board it's like, that you didn't have. A, it's like writing a, a poem in a language that you took in high school. You know, it's <laughs> like, you probably know it. Uh, maybe even, you know, it really well, you know, uh, but like, it's not your natural, it's not your native language, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so here's to you, Joe, for not being hell. Yeah. Brave, <laughs> but also being brave. I, I mean, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> Right. It's like, I don't know why you did it. I hope it's not because you weren't confident enough to direct a DP or a JP without uh, Spielberg's hands on it. It's hard to know. Um, but I can say having, you know, directed stuff that you like followed up on your stuff or you having follow up on my stuff. You know, it's not easy, right? Like it can be very like, eh, you know, I would have done it this way or you would have yeah. done it that way. Right. Like. And also when you're, so when you go to school, you know, uh, cause that's what you kind of like, that's that part of, you know, working in someone's like the shadow, I guess, or whatever. Uh, when you're at school, it's hard to be like, all right. And then they throw something completely new. You're like, I have no reference frame or reference for how to do this. And they're like, well, guess what? You don't have time. It's we're doing it right now, man. So it's like in school, you have to like think of the curriculum yourself at times. It's like being the teacher and the student at the same time, in some cases. That's why. Why it's, that's that's it's rough. so tough. I mean, I, I I maintain that the great gift of film school is that now all films become your uh become your instructor. You know what I mean? Like before yeah. before film school That's right. Film you, films were not teachers, uh as much. Um Yeah. Or really at all, honestly. You know, like uh 
like just fans consume films differently than filmmakers mm-hmm. do. Uh, so yeah, I, I uh, that part I think is cool. I like that Joe Johnson was this much of a student. I think what it tells you is that every director is on some level a, a student of the of the filmmakers that came before them. Yeah, you know, and this guy made good stuff. Like I can't go. I like his his. I I didn't check his IMDb before you before this episode. So like that, you're surprised. Yeah, yeah, I was like, shit. That's these are good movies. Uh, some of them. Mm-hmm. You know, some were. I've, I've seen yeah. all of them. You know. Uh, so yeah, I admire yeah, that. That's that. Yeah. I admire that. Uh, uh, I also think also it's made... weird that this franchise in particular feels so committed to one director's style when like I, there's so many other franchises that have sequels and they don't feel anywhere near as committed to it. Right. Like it's because it's Spielberg. I I mean, sure. They know, I guess that's it. They know. Everyone knows the studio just knows that that's the magic ingredient. I mean, I think it might just be because Jurassic park, this, that first movie was so fucking good. Like it was just like, Holy shit. This, this is one of the best. And it was, it was a slam dunk blockbuster. It's it might be the biggest sl- slam dunk, but uh, blockbuster in terms of like staying power. It was in theaters forever like, for like a year. Granted, it is not even close to the most lucrative. Uh, you know, I don't even think it's even in the top three lucrative franchises on the planet. But the fact that this was just a book that was just supposed to be a movie. And then they were like, holy shit, that went well. And they were like, you know what? We need to do all of this. That is a different space than Harry Potter, where it's like, oh, before you even start shooting the first one, you're like, dude, we're going to bang out eight of these. Right. This is going to be great. We're going to have a whole, we're going to have Disneyland's. We're going to have, you know, when they made Jurassic Park one, they weren't thinking, oh, we're going to make a dra- actual Jurassic Park in the real world. You know, no, it, it just became a phenomenon. It was the highest grossing film ever at the time until, until and, Titanic. Oh yeah, for sure. And the reason everyone knew is like Spielberg, he don't miss. Well, you also know, like that guy, also he released which Schindler's list the same year. Yeah, it's like, holy shit. That's the maniac. greatest year of any director ever. It, like don't, it, it's what a maniac that is such a, like, those are two of my favorite films ever, like top 10, both of them, right? Like Schindler's List, you can make an argument, is the best film ever made. It's like, it's arguable, you know? Yeah, and that was I think, also released yeah. this year. Fuck me, man. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's good. good yeah, he's pretty good. So, like, Joe, jo- <laughs> <laughs> so Joe Johnson, I mean, he's not stupid, you know? Like, he's a smart man. I, I don't know. It's he's, just like a bummer to me, no matter who the previous director was i hate watching a director subjugate themselves to somebody else you know like just maybe yeah, it's, it's not maybe it's my ego i i just i hate it i'm like man mm-hmm. make your film i don't care like if it well, sucks it sucks you know that's on you don't worry don't worry because i told you the first five movies of his career uh, and then jurassic park three and his next one though the movie that after he's like i'm done with this system I'm tired of being in the shadow of Spielberg. Yeah. I gotta go out, make my, tell my tale. Ready? 2004's Hidalgo. Man, that's another one. It wasn't, it was not a bad movie though, was it? 
<laughs> it's just about a horse. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> With Lord of the Rings, uh, Vigo Mortensen, right? With Vigo, baby, Vigo, and he's he's gonna win the race with this, you know, like this maverick horse. <laughs> yeah, but he and the horse are like alike, you know. They don't fit in anywhere, and everyone doubts him. Everyone thinks, "Ah, oh, look at this piece of shit. He's not a purebred." You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, yeah. Vigo, Vigo isn't of pure blood. <laughs> he's seventy-one, Joe Johnson. Yeah, he's an old motherfucker. I mean, he didn't he, direct that many films, actually. He started. I mean, yeah, no, he's 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 directed like you know, dozen or so. Uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids was eighty nine. Yeah, but he started. Whew, you want to hear about uh, his first thing he worked on? Uh, sure, please. Yeah, it was a. He was one of the main visual artists for uh, Star Wars, right? Any, yeah, yeah, <laughs> just a little film. Well, that's. I mean, that's there. You then go, he worked right? on. Yeah, and he started as a visual uh, effects artist that like moved into the art direction, and then he built sequences uh, and designed sequences for those films because he needed, like, he was building like miniature sequences where they were just like, okay, you got to go, um, just film it. You're not exactly B unit, but you're just like you're doing all the miniature stuff because you just own, you're just really good at the visual effects and the art part of it. And they're like, okay, and that moved into a second unit director and associate producer roles. And he worked on like Willow, yeah, uh, yeah he and did. like batteries not included in Howard the Duck. Yeah, those those all uh, translate to Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Like huge, yeah. And he worked on all the Indiana Jones. Yeah, he did. Uh, or no, he did. I don't all the Star Wars. Yeah, he didn't work on the third. Indiana Jones, but he worked on all the Star Wars, and he, like I said earlier, made Iron Giant. Into Brad, he worked with Brad Bird. He's worked with Steven Spielberg, Brad Bird, Ron Howard. He's, great. He's all a great career. This is a great career. He even started his shit, you know, like, and then he started his career, yeah. and he gave us Jumanji. <laughs> I don't know. I this is a cool career. I mean, you know, like it's. He's kind of a cool. I kind of like him just because I I fell in love with one of, like one of the you love Journeyman directors. One of his movies. You love him. I do. I do. Uh, it's also very near. And I think every artist has to kind of be real with themselves about like why they got into it. And sometimes you want it to be something that's like, you know, cool, like a cool story or something like that. And I don't have that. I got into film because I was like really into science as a kid. And in science class one day they showed October sky and it like fucking shook me. Like I didn't know what to do as a kid. I was like, that is the best thing I've ever seen. Cause I wasn't really into movies. And so Joe Johnson will always have a place in my heart because he was part of yourself a, in one a of those. Yeah. I just, it was, he was a part of that experience. Yeah. He directed the film that made me kind of like turn to the path of film. I get it. And that's, that's, that's special. It's not sexy. It's not like, Oh, that's, that's all you need. This guy, Abe Epperson, he had to go into film. Why? Cause he, he, he was in the film mines mining for those. For that sweet film. One gold. day I saw October sky. And then yeah. I started watching more films and more. I think films. that's all it takes, man. Yeah. Like the, there's, yeah, there's a lot of bad reasons to get into films, but there's uh, the good reason. It can be as small or as big as you want. As long as, uh, you know, as long as you're a person who wanted to tell a story, that's good enough for any reason. I think it's good enough. Yeah, I mean, good enough. for everyone out there, you're good enough. <laughs> You that's know. the conclusion. You sickos who listen to this If shit, Joe Johnson's proven anything, enough. it's that all of you are good enough. <laughs> that's, you're good. Yeah, that's, that's not true. Away. He's a great. He's he's had a great career. I actually really admire what he's done. Yeah, I really yeah. Do. I mean, he's not. Yeah, 
I, All right, that's it. For I mean, me. you did great, I'm man. Done. This is a great episode. Yeah. Uh, what? A, what? Hey, a, what a, thanks, what a man. Cool. I, I like how the way that you've explained it parallels the actual techniques and level of detail <laughs> of the subject that you that you expanded upon. Yeah, I'm, my my Luma narrative's on point. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just a, you're just a, such a meta boy. Yeah. You know. I'm good at that. Yeah. <laughs> love it. Hey, man. I love you. I love you too. You know. Aww, and uh, thanks, we're man. so grateful to all of you for listening. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed this. Uh, if you hate Jurassic Park three, feel free to check out uh, the Twitter thread that I created while I watched it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was a blast. Uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll be uh, you know subscribe to Small Beans, all that stuff. Hopefully yeah. we'll be back in like two weeks. Yeah, I mean, yeah, with uh, it could be Blair Witch, Abe. Is that could, what you're thinking? I yeah, you know what? I'll tell. You, I mean, I don't. I'll spoil. I'll spoil the shit. I don't give a fuck. You thinking uh, that one? I was thinking of contrasting Blair Witch with uh, Cloverfield. Ooh, that that's cool. Yeah, and the subject would Spooky. be authenticity. The the value of authenticity as a filmmaker. Dude, you are the spookiest. I don't know what I'm <laughs> going to do. Such a ghost boy, I know it. <laughs> you're such a ghost boy. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do yet, so you're going to have to wait. Yeah, I mean, I may not do that, so I'm not committing, but but that's an idea I've been toying with. <laughs> so so it's all sound and fury from over oh yeah, from I, I am yeah absolutely. Absolutely. You're just a con I'm man. A, I'm such a Faulkner podcast. You're such you know? a con man, dude. <laughs> Dragging me along, making me believe in your stories, and then pulling the rug from beneath my feet. <laughs> and then it turns like, out or maybe the not. check was already signed or whatever the fuck. Uh, fuck. I love you how knew, con you're men, selling it. You're selling it. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love how con men are always doing something so basic and trivial. Like, I really, the con men, like, that is. That is such basic, trivial work in a lot of ways, uh, and I thoroughly appreciate that about it. You know what I mean? It's like it's like yeah. I'm I'm trying to convince you this stamp on this document is a real stamp. <laughs> like that's that's half of conning, you know. So not only that, it's the best it's the best stamp anyone's ever seen. Who says it's not a stamp? Like it's yeah, you're teetering between like defending that this is all bullshit and yeah. this is the greatest thing. Look what's in my left hand. Is that a it's rose like, for you? I'm pretty sure if you're describing both ends of the spectrum, yeah. it's probably not either. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's By probably the way, some that, that'd be a great Spielberg movie that I think we could actually talk about is Catch Me If You Can. I know you Spielberg. don't. You, you, I you have too much respect for Spielberg. You have too much. Here's the thing. Dial it down I did bit. pull a fast one on you because I just spent a, an hour plus talking about Spielberg. Tricks, but I wasn't offended. I was not offended point. by it. I yeah, was not offended I, by that. I hid it under the vise right, you of me. a Joe Johnson episode. Yeah. that really is a Spielberg episode. And I know, I know that doesn't look good. I didn't set out to do that. I, I know you didn't. I'm not mad yeah. about it. Uh, just so the audience knows, we've only really vetoed like maybe two episodes. And one of them was a pitch from me that was, I want to talk about hook, the movie hook and how it, I hook is in my opinion, a, a less successful movie than most of Spielberg's movies. Um, and how, so like how some of the tricks that he uses miss mm -hmm. in hook. Uh, and it sort of tells us a little more about what his bag of tricks is. Mm -hmm. uh, but we decided that Hook was not bad enough of a movie to cover. That's what we decided, right? It's fucking Hook, man. I know maybe it didn't do as well as other Spielberg. It's not even, it's no, it's not Spielberg. just critical acclaim. I don't know. It, yeah, anyway. I always uh, just 
people always ask me this on Twitter. I get way too many people DMing me about this. Like, why, why don't you, why don't you shut the fuck up and, you know, like just let it let, do the good movies, do the good movies. They I'm do like, ask us to do good movies. And it's like, and I'm like the whole, I, I always felt that this podcast is about, you know, Oh, didn't know that aspect of that thing as opposed to, Hey, you know, what's a really good movie. <laughs> Schindler's list. <laughs> schindler's list oh my god good yeah. take because what am i gonna say i'm gonna say all the things that we all know it's good we'll you see know, maybe i can elucidate a little bit more but like i'm doing that here with a uh, Jurassic park three so. if we're still doing this in five or ten years we may end up the 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 the, the, the standards may get looser and looser who can tell <laughs> yeah they all can't be winners. and it's like i don't know the godfather i don't know they all can't be what would you say hooks they all can't be winners <laughs> Uh, hey, that's a little bit of honesty before we go. Uh, thank bit. you for listening, everybody. <laughs> we love you. This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge huge giant monster beans. If you enjoyed this content module, please like, rate, subscribe, or tell a friend about us. We love you. <laughs>